The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Well, today I have the, uh, uh, the privilege and honor of introducing a dear friend uh, to our church, uh, Pastor uh, Juan Mancayo is a former member of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland, and uh, has been ministering in Quito, Ecuador since his graduation from the Master's University. He's been there for 12 to 13 years. In addition to shepherding his flock, uh, La Fuente a Church, uh, Pastor Juan has been involved in biblical uh, counseling through ACBC, uh, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. His church has officially become one of the first biblical counseling training centers in uh, Ecuador where he trains uh, future leaders, pastors, and church planners. Uh, Pastor Juan also leads his church in coordinating uh, food distributions and uh, also partnering with uh, orphanages, and he's personally involved in a number of uh, writing projects and conferences and uh, is pursuing his Ph.D. at Midwestern uh, Seminary, and he's also uh, one of the uh, professors on the Spanish uh, teaching side of the uh, Master's uh, Seminary as well, so uh, grateful uh, for that uh, opportunity uh, that he has to do that. And uh, Juan has been a, been a friend for... Uh, probably over, it's over 20 years that, uh, that we've known Juan, so uh, I shared this with this congregation, but uh, I remember when his uh, hair was kind of spiky. I remember uh, uh, back in, uh, in, in the day when um, uh, we were attending Hope Bible Church, and uh, uh, Pastor Leek was like, hey, you got to check on, on, uh, on Hota, you know, call him Hota, check on Hota and see what, what this Bible study is. He's got a Bible study. He's got a group of men that are, you know, gathering around, so it's like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go and check him out, so went to go and, and listen to the, uh, to the teaching, and he was teaching on uh, repentance. You know, I still remember, you know, some of the, the things that he shared with the, uh, the group of guys that were around, and it's just like, wow, this is just really good, just seeing his love and, and, and concern for the, the truth of the scriptures. And, I, and I've told him this, that um, it's great to see people who've matured, but they haven't changed. You understand what I mean by that? Like, like they grow in maturity, in their love for Christ, their love for the word, but it's like he's the same person that I remember you know, from 20 or more years ago. He's, he's just, a, just a dear brother. And um, one of the other things that's just uh, um, dear to me as well is that uh, we were both um, mentored and, and pastored uh, by the same man, so we're cut from the same cloth. Uh, very grateful for uh, the mentorship, uh, the leadership of uh, Pastor uh, Tom Leak. And uh, in many ways, you know, uh, uh, Juan and I have uh, been able to pick up the baton uh, from a faithful man, and we're trying to run our race faithfully as well. So uh, come on up, brother, and, and minister uh, the word to us. Amen, hermana. <laughs> Buenas tardes, amados hermanos. Good afternoon, dear brothers and sisters. Um, <laughs> awesome. Um, I wanted to. I want to start by by saying actually that um, yeah, I did get. At, I think it was like at one in the morning, and then by the time we got um, to the house, it was like two thirty. So I tend to start speaking in tongues when I uh, I'm tired. <laughs> so if I randomly start speaking Spanish, if someone can start translating, that'd be awesome. So we can stay. Within the bounds, all right? Um, now, uh, could you please um, turn your Bibles to Matthew 28? We're going to be in verses 18 through 20. Please, if you don't mind joining me to that important passage. Um, and as you arrive to that passage, I want to, first of all, uh, bring some greetings uh, from La Fuente Church, and not only from our local church, but as a local church, we have the opportunity, the word La Fuente, it's fountain, and, uh, and, and what we wanted to do when we planted the church was to point people to the fountain of life, who is Jesus Christ. You know, whoever drinks from him will no longer be thirsty, 
Uh, and that's what we're trying to do through expository preaching, through expository counseling, pointing people to the, to, to the hope and help that only Christ can give. Now, the Lord had plans to allow La Fuente, the fountain, to also become kind of a fountain of resources in that theological and uh, ecclesiological famine that Ecuador lives in. Uh, so to a degree, uh, we've been able to serve uh, other churches in their region, other churches in the city as well. Um, so I also want to say thank you so much for letting us borrow your pastor. We worked them hard. Um, but it was just a great encouragement to be able to serve with him and uh, for him to be able to be used by God to encourage not only our church, but also a group of pastors in the area that we get the opportunity to serve. So thank you so much. That, I, I know that that, that, is, that is a sacrifice that, that you did. So, so we want to say thank you as La Fuente. I also want to say real quickly thank you as well from, uh, from Marissa, Will, and Knox, and myself. Uh, thank you so much for your hospitality. Um, we're getting to know but, uh, the church here, and it's, it's just such, such an incredible opportunity to be able to to serve together. And another thing that's really neat uh, before we get into the text is just to see some of the similarities between um, the church here and the church in Ecuador. We also meet another, someone that lets us uh, rent their church in the afternoon. Uh, the pastor plays cajon, and I used to play cajon at my church as well before preaching. Uh, so there's just quite a, a, a lot of things. But, but I think the thing that, that brings us closest is the fact that I can come here and I know that because we are under the authority of Christ, we're brothers and sisters, and we can celebrate. I heard singing songs that encouraged my heart in the same way that I was looking around and we're all being encouraged because we have a common experience, what the Bible calls koinonia, a, a shared experience, a shared life because of what Christ has done. And with that, I feel at home. Praise God for that, right? Okay, so um, finally, uh, I wanted to share something as a way of introduction that uh, last Sunday was a special Sunday uh, for my family. Um, last Sunday, July 10th. Um, my wife and I celebrated 12 years of marriage. Uh, so it's a great, great blessing. Uh, something crazy is that after we got married four years, four days later, I'm sorry, four days later, uh, Marissa and I got on a plane and we moved to Ecuador. And one of the things that became a tradition for us has been that every time during our anniversary or that around those weeks around our anniversary, we go out on a date, we get to talk. And one of the things that we tried to do is to be able to, to ask questions, you know, a time to think and examine how are we doing? I think sometimes it's really easy in marriage to kind of hit the autopilot button and just take things for granted. We all know marriages in which like, people will start to, to live in completely separate. During the pandemic, I heard one, one, one note that I keep, kept hearing um, as I was doing some counseling. is like, you know what, we're married, but, but everybody goes to their work. And now that we were in the pandemic in Ecuador, they had big shutdowns. I'm stuck with this person that I don't even really know who it is. And that's why people ended up saying, like, you know what, we need to renew things. We need to refresh our marriage. We, we, we need to ask those things. And today as we open uh, our Bibles, we're going to a passage that I think we all know well. We've heard about it. But it's a passage that can easily be taken for granted or even it can be neglected. And this passage is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. And it's known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, um, as I was thinking of the Great Commission, I can, I can share something with you that, that for me is special to come here to the Maryland area because I lived in Maryland for a time and, and God used this area, people that are sitting in, in this auditorium to help me not only understand this passage in the sense of understanding it in my head, but start to see it in my heart and in my hands. And I can say that your 
pastor and other people that are here, we're foundational for me to not only understand this on an academic level, but seeing model for me. So for me, this is really, really special. And part of that at some point was that I was living in Maryland and then pretty much the, the Leak family kicked me out of their house and they told me that I needed to go get more training. So I ended up in Master's University. And I went, when I got to Master's University, there's like, hey, what's your name, Juan? Where are you from? Ecuador. And the majority of the time, Ecuador. Isn't that where Gmailier used to be? And at that point, I had no idea who Gmailier was. So I would hear about Gmailier and Steve Saint, and I had no idea what, what that really meant. You know, I had heard a few things, but eventually I realized I need to start to understand what, this, what is this, this whole thing that Ecuador is known for in missions, because apparently it happened in my backyard, and I had no idea about that. So as I was starting to research and I started to look, I realized that the, that the Lord had done an incredible work pretty much in my backyard that I had nothing, that I didn't know about. And actually in local churches in Ecuador, no one really knows much about it. So with that in mind, the Lord used that and the transition there to realize that the Lord has a heart for the nations. The Lord has a heart for other places. There's people that came from a different country to my country and died in the river uh, so that people will know Christ. And I was like, why don't I feel that way? I remember also talking with a dear friend of ours who planted a church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and, and he, I remember talking with him, and he planted that church, and, and there was a time in which I asked him, so why do you want to plant that church? And he said, well, like, I want to go back to my people, and I realized, like, I'm really comfortable in the United States. I don't want to go anywhere. And I started to realize, why don't I want to go back to my people? So as that started to happen, something interesting, as my professor used to put it, is that eventually there was a group of us that were the people that were with a heart for missions. Have you heard that, 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 that little phrase? Those people that have a heart for missions. And what ends up happening sometimes in, in universities, in Christian schools, in, in organizations, even in local churches, is that, is that there's a group of special Christians that are called to missions. And those are like the super spiritual ones. And they have like this badge of honors, like, you know what, like, you know, I'm in the missions committee. But we need to be really careful, friends, because eventually this just becomes kind of a distinction that is not there in the Bible. We're all, in our DNA as believers, we're called to be missionaries. Part of who, what makes us believers is that the Lord came as a missionary to this earth, died from us and, for us, and then now we need to go and share that with someone else. It's part of who we are. Sometimes I think that as I get the privilege to, 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 to travel, to teach at my church, to, to sometimes encourage in other ways that the Lord has been so kind and so generous to allow me to do, is, is that I go to places where we're going to the right conferences, we're having the right retreats, we're reading the right books, we're having the right theology, but eventually, like, sometimes we end up just kind of getting those things and not living it out. The second year when I arrived to Ecuador, a known blogger and pastor did a review of a conference, and one of the sermons was on missions. And he wrote in his blog, and, and I love this dear brother, and he said, that was the evening we had dinner with such and such, and so no, I didn't know, name of the speaker, from Adam, and the topic was missions, which frankly suggested to me that it was missable. And then absolutely everyone was, uh, that was there said that he blew the roof off figure, so it's, my, uh, it's in my list, in, list when I get back home, but haven't done that yet. I believe many times people see the Great Commission as something that you, Juan, since you're in Ecuador, get to do, and we're going to pray for you and praise the Lord for that. We need your prayers. At the same time, we need to understand that this is not something for those people that might be in other countries or another, but that is part of our identity. This is part of what makes us believer. 
we all have a call to missions. It is not something just missable. One of the moments that uh, your pastor uh, got to teach in Ecuador, and, and I remember at some point um, I was listening, he was being translated, and he brought this quote that I had heard it before, but it hadn't been on my mind, and he mentioned that Spurgeon said that every Christian is a missionary or is an imposter. Therefore, this passage is not just for missionaries, not just for the missions committee, not for those super special Christians that are into missions. No, this is for everyone. If you are a believer, this is for you, friend. So my desire today is to review this familiar text and encourage our hearts to be reminded of how our Lord has commissioned all of us to be missionaries and how that looks like. Now, at the same time, as I have the opportunity to be here for the first time, and, uh, and, 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 and Pastor mentioned that they want, you guys want to know a little bit of the context of Ecuador, I want to try to include some like, specific things of how this passage has been seen historically in Ecuador missionary history, okay? So that way you guys get to know how to pray for us. That way you get a little bit of the experience that Pastor George had in understanding a little bit of the culture and the, and, and the dynamics of ministry in Ecuador, okay? So with that in mind, please, uh, let's read the passage, Mateo 28, Mateo 28, Matthew 28. Um, I'm going to read verses 18 to 20 from the ESV. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Heavenly Father, we come before you with a great expectation and, Lord, with humility. Lord, uh, we had a bunch of things happen this week, um, including for me, like, Miss Plains and, like, Cancel itineraries, Lord God, but right now you are the only one that needs to have our focus, Lord God. And we also understand that, that, that we need your spirit for us to, to open our eyes and be able to understand this passage, Father God. So help me serve this dear church well, Lord God. And may we all leave not impressed on missions, but impressed on the incredible Savior that we have, Father God. Thank you for this time. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so number one. The first thing we're going to see is that the context does not give us the opportunity to put pretext when we think about the Great Commission. So let's first think of what just happened. So if we go back in chapter 26, 27, 28, you're going to see that, 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 that you have much information in which Jesus is spending time with the disciples. You, you have the, uh, the, the uh, I man in Spanish again, you know, <laughs> the, the supper with the Lord. And then you see after that, that there's an imprisonment, there's a judgment. Eventually, Jesus ends up uh, dead on the cross, and then you have his resurrection. So, so think about that for a minute, because the disciples just saw that their rabbi was murdered. They saw Christ fall victim to the various authorities and he dies in a bloody cross, while many of them fled. After that, he spent some time with them, and, and these are the last words before he ascends. And, and I want you to think of two things before we actually get into the text that provides us context that I think it's really important for us to understand. First thing, please notice the way that Jesus speaks. As you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus sometimes used parables. You know, early stories with heavenly meaning. You know, there's stories. There's this narrative that, that is different than what we see here. Secondly, we also see that sometimes he asks the disciples questions. You know, who do you say that I am? Why are you afraid? Matthew 8. Why did you doubt? Matthew 11. Do you still not see or understand? Mark 8. So you see parables and you see questions. This time, there's no more parables, friends. There's no more questions. 
This is a strong statement that is filled with clarity and depth. These are marching orders from our general. Secondly, I want you to realize that these are, these are his last words. As I mentioned to you, I used to live in, in the area. And uh, the Lord has seen fit that many times I had to say goodbyes. Being a missionary means a lot of goodbyes. I remember leaving the area and talking with their family, and they were really careful on what they said as those last words. As my family right now is traveling the U.S., my family right now is spending time with my in-laws in, in Arizona, and then eventually we're going to see my parents, I know that something that is really hard is to say bye, especially seeing my, my, my kids saying goodbye to their, to their grandparents, to their cousins, to the primos, and all that. It's hard, and, and I see that everybody's really intentional in that goodbye. They're intentional what words you say. As I mentioned to you, 10 years ago, I got married, and four days, four days later, I left to Ecuador with my dear wife, and my, my, my father-in-law looked at me in the eyes as I was taking his only daughter, his baby girl, to Ecuador, and he looked at me and says, I love you, man. Take care of my daughter. Last words have incredible weight. We're really careful when we say our last words. Those last words are important. And, and, and friends, please, now let's get in the text that says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. If you're not, if not only the type of words, not only that are the last words, but notice what he says. All authority. The Greek word that is translated authority means rightful, actual, an impeded power to act or to possess. Listen to this. Control, use, or dispose of something or somebody. Once again, no more questions. No more images. These are orders. This is, and I have the authority to tell you what to do. The point, friends, is clear. He sees the disciples in the eyes. Those eyes that had seen their rabbi crucified, going through excruciating pain. Those eyes that can see the marks on, their, on his hand, on his feet, on his side. And Jesus says, I have power. I have authority. I have jurisdiction. I have authority to rule over heaven and earth. John 3.35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things in His hand. Amen. All things. He's owner of all. And in case someone is asking, well, but, but why should I believe you? Remember, He just says, I, I just proved it. Do you see that empty cross? Do you see that empty tomb? I just defeated death. He died so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. This is not a suggestion. This is not something in which we can be thinking like, yeah, you know what, at the right time. This is Jesus who just defeated death, conquered our greatest enemy, telling us this is what your life should be about. One of the ways that I like to illustrate this is, again, 10 years ago, um, I married my wife and we came into um, uh, a sanctuary like this one and we came up the steps. And I remember looking at my wife and at some point I had to share my vows. And I said that, you know, I, I committed myself, and those kind, that's kind of the words, you know. I promise, I commit to love you, to protect you, to, to be faithful to you and, you and you alone. And that's the kind of stuff that everybody, and there's like people like crying, and it's like, oh, like, that's such a commitment because of something beautiful. What would happen if you go to a wedding, and instead of hearing that kind of words, you hear something like this. You know, I am praying about being faithful to you. I'm going to consider it. I might even do a Bible study that talks about marriage. 
I have a group of people that meet together and we talk about the stuff. We watch documentaries about marriage, etc. It's not. It doesn't work that way. And we laugh about it, but at the same time, remember that that's kind of the image that we have here. So many of us just want to pray about it. We want to think about it. We want to say like, oh, that's cool that those people like have a good marriage. No, at the end of the day, God has called us to do this. Someone said it, that we are plan A. There's no plan B. That's why one of my professors used to say, and I love his word. He said his last words should be the first thing in our minds every day. These are the, the words that, 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 that push our mission, that push what we do. What, what do we need? Like, it's like we want to see disciples, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. The, the, the church that we read in the book of Acts is a church that is driven by this understanding. They're controlled by the gospel. That's what, in, in Corinthians, we see the same kind of words. This is not just something that you add onto your life, but, but this is your identity. This is no such thing as like, oh, those are the missions guys and the other people that, I'm not really into missions. We're all missionaries. We're all into the Great Commission. We're all called to the Great Commission, friends. I ask you, as we move to the next point, how does that look for you today? You know, for me, it's easy because that was the whole thing. You know, like, like even like right now, Pastor George introduced me, you know, who's a pastor in Ecuador. So it's almost like, okay, like, like my focus is like pretty, pretty clear. There's little prayer cards that remind me. You know, Quito, Ecuador, like, like there, like that's your context. Do it, like, like be faithful. But I don't see many people being with their Bibles unopened and there's a picture of you saying like ministering, you know, to my unbelieving husband. Ministering to my unbelieving spouse. Ministering to my grandkids that have walked away. Ministering to my kids. Ministering in my college campus. Ministering on my job. Ministering in my neighborhood. Ministering with my old college buddies that, I, that, that, that they don't know Christ. Today, please don't leave this room without thinking like the Lord has put you in a missions field. You are in the missions field. The missions field is not out there. It's right here. In some context, you might be sitting next to the missions field. And you need to pray about those things. You need to be intentional about those things. People ask me, like, so, so, so what are you guys thinking? Like, what are you strategizing? How are you, are you praying? How can we pray? That, that, that is for all of us, friends. That's for all of us. So how does that look like for you today? As we think of that. And again, just don't pray about it. Let's pray about it and like, let's take steps in that direction. Now, as we keep moving, something that was really neat as, as, as I've really enjoyed worshiping with you is like the importance of the authority of Scripture. And let's remember that when we talk about authority, we're talking that Jesus... We see the authority of Jesus. He rules through his word. So something that's really important as we make disciples, and this has connotations internationally and nationally, is that the main tool that we have is God's word. God's word has power. Sometimes we focus on personalities. You know, that's good. Like, be a nice person. But at the end of the day, the only thing that can change lives is the word of God because the power is there. And I share this with you because as I'm in Ecuador, and I see many times comments in which there's new philosophies of ministry— New philosophies and missions, and which is almost like we're ashamed of actually preaching the word. A radio station, really, really well known in the missions uh, world, um, when they did the transition to national leadership, uh, the national leadership ended up saying, like, well, we, we have a new, a new philosophy, you know, a new perspective, a new reach. And, and I met with this person, and this person was like really happy to tell me this. And I was saying, like, you know what? We, we want to take away some of those sermons and teaching things. 
And we want to start having like more music that is like positive and encouraging. And we just want to, want to have that because we want people to be like on, on, on the radio and then hear a song and be like, oh, that, like I'm feeling bad and that, that kind of makes me feel good. But that's just positivism. That doesn't change hearts. I remember a taxi driver one time that actually asked me because he was listening to MacArthur's sermons and he didn't know he was listening to MacArthur's sermons, but he just like tuned in and, and, and it was there on the radio. And at some point he said, I was just gripped by what that guy was saying. And in God's providence, we don't know if he's saved, but like he was engaging. He was asking questions about this because the word has power explaining the word. Friends, as you think of missions, as you think of missions here and somewhere else, make sure that there are missions based on the authority of scripture. Authority of the power of Scripture, friends. Around the world, it's believed that there are many sources that have authority to help and heal and save. I love that even today the question was that. Is there other way in Acts? No, there's only one way. It's Christ. In some cases, you will see that this authority can come from, 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 from money or, or from financial security, and that has the authority in people's lives or personalities, or this is what's going to change people, or, or methods in my country, sometimes it has also been historically a syncretistic mix. Syncretism is just you mix beliefs. So you put a little bit of Jesus with something else that kind of makes it look better, and then you mix it together. In other cases, it's, it's openly the occult. There's people that spend thousands of dollars to go to Ecuador and go to the jungles to get hit by a shaman with like leaves and some other stuff happening. Because that's going to change me. And then they go back to the States. It's like, oh, man, I had the, the, the biggest experience, life-changing life experience. That, that doesn't change you. That takes us to the road of idolatry. And sometimes we think of idolatry just as like that kind of stuff or like, or like images. And people usually ask, so, so what, is, what is predominantly happening in Ecuador? And it's like, is it Catholicism? Is it this? Like, honestly, like we all have idolatries in different ways. And in some cases, it might be like that actual image. But in other cases, it's like, I love my car. I love my iPhone. I want to look this way or that way. But it's idolatry. At the end of the day, you bow yourself. Like, like if something happens to that idol, like you, your life falls apart. And that gives, takes us to the, same, to the next point. Secondly, we do missions because worship is the base of missions. John Piper put it this way. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. At the end of the day, every knee will bow to Jesus. And today there's places in the world where people are not bowing their knee to Jesus. And they're bowing their knee to something else. Something that is not something that's going to satisfy them, as, as John 4 it says. They're looking for empty fountains, la fuente, that holds no water. And we have the huge privilege, friends, to bring up, let me show you something better. Jesus is better. That's the true fountain of life. Secondly, as we think about worship, many times what comes to our minds is singing. And especially in the world of missions. When you think about missions, many times people come in and have like cool videos. And, and, and some of them are like really great. In which you have like expressions of music from different cultures. And that's beautiful. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. In which every, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to worship the Lord. And is going to do it according to, to, to the redeemed perspective of that culture. And, th- and that is beautiful. That's great. But at the same time, sometimes the conversation just becomes only about singing. So, so you see ideas of like African rhythms or chantings from Europe or indigenous sounds from the Andes. And people are like, man, isn't that beautiful? And I'm like, yes, but what's happening at the heart? And only God knows the heart. But our mission as missionaries is to start to think about those things. 
Sometimes when we think about worship, we start delegating that idea to what's happening with our hands as we clap, as we sing, as we play, you know, guitars, pianos, drums, you know, rondador is like a, 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 an instrument from the Andes. And that's what we're thinking. But, but God is thinking of, of the main part of our body that, that is working at that moment of worship are not our hands and externally, but it's our hearts. And only God can change our hearts. And that's missions, friends. You can have a lot of people singing loudly and openly and representing their, their, their cultural influences with their hearts completely separated from Christ. And it looks cool in, in mission presentations. And we need to be really careful with that. People may sing passionately about God of heaven and on earth without considering that as worship is an action, it places the action in, not in the hands but in the hearts. And once again, like, God is the only one that can change hearts. He's the only one that can change hearts. And when I think of hearts, and that's something that, that um, we, we, we tried to do in Ecuador when we planted the church, there were two pillars that were really important, and you can find them in Acts 20.20, 20, when Paul says that, that he pu- preached publicly and from house to house. And, and one of the things that we wanted to do as we planted La Fuente was make sure that we have expository preaching and what we call expository counseling or biblical counseling. And the idea here is that we preach the word and then you do like the little house to house and how you minister the word to one another. Now, as we started to do training in counseling, as I was getting my training, one of the things that I heard when I came to the United States is that most biblical counseling, people point to the fact that biblical counseling did not start with a man named Jay Adams. I don't know if you've heard of Jay Adams. You know, he's like the father of the modern biblical counseling movement. But, but biblical counseling has not start, did not start with Adams, but it started all the way, like you see counseling all the way in the fall. And then you see, you know, like, like, like the serpent is giving bad counsel and, and humanity believes it, right? And then God comes in, and remember what he does? Where are you? What have you done? Did God really need to ask those questions? No, a, a good counselor draws the person out, so you start to see it there. And then what, what I got to see while I was in the States and seminary is that you start to see, like, you know what, dear brothers and sisters? So then you start to see that line that goes, like, completely parallel to, to the story. And then you start to see, you know, the apostolic fathers and all that. And then you start to see Reformation and, and then um, um, uh, the Puritans, et cetera, et cetera. And, and something that really hit me is that when I hear that, I'm like, that is so great. And then I think of the fact that I'm Ecuadorian. And what do I mean by that? I mean that that timeline misses completely my country. And my part of the world. So let me give you a little history. At the same time that Martin Luther hammered his thesis in 1517 to the point of the diet of worms that gives the spark for the Protestant Reformation that literally changed the world. And it's kind of like, like the background for many of the churches here in the States. My region wasn't just switching from worshiping of the moon and the sun to the worship of images of the Virgin Mary. Around the time in which some key events in the beginning of the Reformation started in Europe, in Latin America, La Iglesia Catedral Basilica Nuestra Señora de la Encarnación, a Catholic church, the first cathedral, was built in the Dominican Republic at the same time. The Protestant Reformation completely lost, missed, I'm sorry, Latin America. We never had a Reformation. Moreover, where Owen, Edwards, and others were writing about the mortification of sin, overcoming sin and temptation, the spiritual affections, Latin America was in the darkness of rituals, idolatry, syncretism, 
your pastor, I got to take him to this place called um, eh, La Virgen del Panecillo. That is like a huge monument that oversees the city, like literally is, is in the mountain and oversees the city. And is the Virgin Mary with wings taking all that is attributed in revelations to Jesus on her. And the idea is like, like Jesus kind of needed help is what Catholic doctrine teaches. And many people in our country just switched from before we were, we, we were worshiping the moon and the stars and, and like all that kind of stuff. And now we're just switching idolatry. I need to be really careful with that. Now let's continue to move forward to 1892. That's the decade around, the decade around where uh, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, finished his faithful race. As you know, he had a faithful, fruitful ministry, incredible ministry by God's grace. That same, around the same year, it is likely that the first shipment of Bibles arrived, just arrived in Spanish, to the port of Guayaquil in Ecuador. 1892. Needless to say, those Bibles were there illegally. They shouldn't have been there. You couldn't read the Bible in your language. It is said and cited that a custom agent actually uh, saw those Bibles coming in, and he said this, as long as Mount Chimborazo stands, pause there, you're like, what is that, Mount Chimborazo? Are you speaking in tongues again? Um, it, Mount Chimborazo is the highest mountain in Ecuador. It's over 20,000 feet. It's beautiful. It's majestic. You know, when you drive it and you see it, you're like, wow, that, that, that is beautiful. You can see it from far away. Um, interesting fact here for some of you guys that might be interested in that. Because we're in the equator and because the, the shape of the earth, technically, Mount Chimborazo is higher than, than Everest if you count from the middle of the earth to the side. And Ecuadorians love to tell the story. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so, but, but this guy said, as long as Mount Chimborazo stands, this book's will never enter Ecuador. Dear friends, God is good. And Chimborazo is still there. What this guy didn't know is that, please turn your Bibles to Isaiah 44. Verse 23. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout for joy, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout, for, shout of joy, you Mountains. O forest and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he's shown for his glory. Same thing, Isaiah 49, 13. Please join me there briefly. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joy, shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Dear friends, this, this, this guy there that was this custom agent had no idea that these verses were in that Bible, obviously. And that God was going to get his glory. And that, that, that mountain was not there to, to, to try to make his tiny, puny point of like they won't come in. But those mountains were already giving a testimony of our great God, friends. And no one can oppose him. He has a perfect plan. God is good and Chimborazo is still there. And those Bibles enter the country to give testimony to the words of Revelation 5, 9, and 10, that says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Dear friends, it's so beautiful that this guy said those things, and then Ecuador became one of the, of, of the hubs for missions for the next 100 years. It's in Ecuador that, 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 many, that, that uh, missionaries put big antennas so, they could, so the, the message of the gospel could be broadcast around the world. It's in Ecuador, by God's grace, that in the river Curaray, in el Rio Curaray, Nate Saint and Jim Elliot and three other missionaries give their lives. And that became a spark that sent missionaries all over the world, friends. 
I think that is part of, of the Lord showing his, his incredible power when people were like, no, that, that's not happening here. God is turning around and saying, like, I'm going to show you how Ecuador is going to be used in that way. And not for Ecuador. This is not about Ecuador. This is about the Lord. Yes. Speaking of the missionaries, something that I want to share with you is that Marissa and I, when we were recently married, we moved to Ecuador. And their first apartment was in the Roger Yodarian Memorial Home. Roger Yodarian was one of the missionaries that died in the Kurarai River. Uh, his wife, Barbara, returned to Ecuador, raised funds, and they did this memorial home that became a dorm for students, for missionary students. And, uh, and, towards the, and the last year, right before they tore it down, they were renting apartments there. And, and by God's grace and his providence, Marissa and I got in one of those apartments, and that's where La Fuente Church started. And I share this because, once again, we have a faithful line. And once again, it doesn't have to do with our churches. It doesn't have to do with our ministries. It has to do because God is worthy to be praised. And missions exist because worship doesn't. So now, once again, as we keep moving now, so, so what is that we need to do? So once again, we've seen pretty clearly that it's about worship, and we're all worshiping. Number two, it's not a suggestion. It's a commission, something we must do. But the question is like, so, so what do we do? Because there's so many perspectives of missions. No, I have missionaries that like put uh, friends, um, and I love them. I, I, I don't appreciate sometimes the philosophy ministry, but you put like a clown suit, and then you just go around passing candies like, oh, I'm a missionary. I'm like, really? Um, but, but the text says, let's continue. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so please notice two things once again. First, the main verb is not go, but the main verb is to make disciples. See? So, so something important here is to remember that, that many times the emphasis on missions has to do with you have to go somewhere. And we need to be careful that that is not. You must, as you go, make disciples. You know, and many times you see that like, he went and went on the boat. Or, you know, so, so it's part of, of, you need to get out and, and do what the Lord calls you to do. But at the same time, the focus is not on the go part, but on the make disciples. And this is really crucial because every year I get a call from someone normally in the U.S. saying like, hey, like, can we come serve with you? And for us, it's like, what a blessing. Yes, I mean, we would love to do that. But a question that I normally ask is this, how are you serving in your local church? How are you being faithful in the context that the Lord has put you? And I say this because there's nothing magical about airplanes. If anything, they're really sanctifying. Um, but the point is that some people think that like, I'm not faithful here. I'm not faithful in my context, you know, like I'm not involved in my local church. I'm, I'm, I'm not making disciples in my normal context. But somehow I think that once I get a passport, I get on an airplane, I go to a different country where they don't speak my language, where the food is going to be different, when there's different smells and sounds and things like that. Now all of a sudden I'm going to be like, oh, I'm super spiritual. Usually it doesn't happen that way. The opposite is true. And what we do many times is export a Christianity that shouldn't be exported. And that many times we can't even call it Christianity. So notice, please, that the text doesn't say go, therefore, and pass candy. Go, therefore, and make people raise their hands, make decisions, tell them to, to walk an aisle, to, to, to make sure that they show up to their event, do magic tricks, and then maybe a little bit of a gospel presentation. Tell them that they need to fill that hole in their hearts without really presenting that, that, that they're sinners and that there's a, a, a savior without repentance and faith. It says make disciples, followers of Christ. People that love to sit under the teaching of, of their Savior, of their teacher. A follower of Christ, a person who is molding his or her life to the image of Jesus. 
And, and the objective, friends, it's not to have decisions, it's not just to have people to raise their hands, but, but for people that, that look like Christ, that, that every day they're, they're, they're molding themselves to, to look more like their Savior, to look more like Him. And once again, friends, it, it's easy to, to want to do something there without you doing it. It's so important that, that, that you are a faithful disciple because that is something that people can say, like, I follow you as you follow Christ. The idea of, of, um, uh, of molding life to someone, of following this is so important, friends. We need to make sure that our perspective and missions includes this, the idea that disciples are what we make, need to make. I want to share another testimony. When I got to Ecuador, um, I speak English, so people found out that I speak English and I could translate. So, so in the summers, in some places of my country, there's so many missions teams. Like literally, you go to the airport and you see the people with like really bright shirts and groups. And they're all over. And then a big bus picks them up and they go somewhere. And one time, I went with one of those groups. And, and we have dear teams that come in, and they serve faithfully, and, and, I'm, and like, there's a place for short-term missions. Yes? I, I want to make sure that I say that. But at the same time, sometimes this is kind of what could happen. This is what happened to me. One time, I was on one of the strips, and I ended up uh, translating this gospel presentation every night uh, after they did a little program, and they'll just keep going in different, in different villages. And, and, and it's worth saying that all these villages are kind of in, in, in the route to where Jim Elliot died. So it almost becomes this, like, mission tourism in which you get to be near where Jim Elliot was. But which is really interesting is that as we were doing all those, those camps or, or, or like presentations, at the end of the night, we, we will come in and all, everybody will come together and ask like, hey, so in your group, how many people raise their hand? And they'll say a number. How about in your group? How about in your group? How about in your group? And at the end, you had like hundreds of people that had raised their hands. And then by the end of the week, you, you, had, you had like 200, 300 people that had responded. And, and that came in in a PowerPoint in the state saying, like, look what happened, what the Lord did. And the Lord is working for sure, but I'm not sure in that way. And what I mean by that is that then after one day, the last day in God's providence, the bus broke down. It seems like me and transportation don't go well. Um, not that I think about it. Uh, but what happens is that they sent a smaller bus. And in that small bus, the translation couldn't fit. The translator couldn't fit. So, so they said, like, you know what, you, you go. I told them, you can go. Get the people to the hotel and then come and pick me up. But that's going to take a few hours. Don't worry about it. So I stay and I go to the locals and I say, which are Ecuadorian people, I'm talking Spanish. I say, hermano, amigo, um, tell me, like, how can we encourage you? How can we help you now in this next step? Like, we're really excited for what the Lord is doing. I heard that all these people raised there. And you could see that this person was extremely uncomfortable. This person was, and eventually it's like, kind of like, what are you doing here? Why are you still here? And what I learned is, like, remember that I said that they keep going? Is that every couple hours or, or once a day or every in, in the weekend, you have buses that come in and do the same gospel presentation, and they, he told me, and we know that we need to raise our hands for every team. And some of them, which is really interesting, uh, some of them are more animated. Some people are like, we need to kind of like do a little bit of this. But other ones, we need to be a little more serious. But we need to raise our hand. And secondly, which was really, really interesting, it's, it's, it's just the fact that then he said, the reason is that they will buy or artesanías. Artesanías are like little trinkets, little, little necklaces, and little things made out of tawa or, or like out of seeds. And it's like, that's what keeps our economy going. So we need those teams to keep coming. And we realize that if we just kind of like don't like do what we're doing right now, they might not come again. And we need them. Dear friends, do you realize that missions needs to be really well thought of? I mean, I think it's really neat that we can help those economies and all those things. But, but the most important need is their hearts. And which is even harder, friends, is that then when churches go in there and they say, like, hey, like, 
Like, let me share with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and then do a proper gospel presentation. These people have been inoculated from it. I already know about that. I already raised my hand like three times. I remember that I recommended my life like five times. And, and, but, but that is detrimental for the gospel, friends. That's detrimental for the gospel. One time I read an article that said that if you add the decisions made in an island like in Haiti, you will have more decisions than actual people that live in the island. Once again, the result is that we have inoculated places like Latin America. And Latin America is like, it's in your backyard, friends. We're not talking about places really far away. It's, it's, a, it's an easy fly, you know, like you get there pretty quick. But at the end of the day, like, what are we doing? And what is left on the wake is just, it's, it's, it's a lot of harm. I have so many people that we go and share the gospel. It's like, oh, I met a missionary years ago, and there's faithful people, you know. But, but there's like, oh, I already did it. I tried it, and it didn't work for me. There's not a proper understanding of, 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 of making disciples that it starts with conversion. And it's hard work. Beloved, our call is to make disciples, followers of Christ, people that want to sit and hear their, the teaching of Christ and mold their lives around those teachings to be more like Christ. And that takes effort. Colossians 1, 28, 29 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this toil is struggling. It's hard work. It's hard work. And that's why that hard work can be done only in those short, like, go and leave. Short missions, short-term mission strips can come in and support what's already happening. The same thing as you make disciples in your context. It's going to be hard work. But the Lord, like it says in this passage, His energy that He powerfully works within me. So I ask you a question as we continue to think about this, what does it mean to be a disciple? Like, um, so... So could you recognize a mature disciple if you saw one? What does it mean to be a mature disciple? And and you get to see in the missions field different perspectives, and you see it all over. But but people are like, you know what? That's the person that knows a lot of Bible. Or the person that is like super nice and helps everybody. So so how does a mature disciple look like? And for that, the Bible obviously gives us answers. So please help me, uh, and let's go together to Romans chapter 15. This is really important as we think of making disciples because sometimes we think that it's all about just giving them a lot of content. Just make sure they have the right content. That is absolutely foundational. But the Bible says in the book of James that we're not only to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I myself am satisfied about you, says Paul, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, that's character, filled with all knowledge, that's content, and able, that's competency, to instruct one another. That's the context of community. I wish we have time to expand that more, but, but for now, I just want to help you see, but by God's grace, that this passage shows like areas in which we can all grow. And, and given as you make disciples, this is helpful to say, like, what content does this person need? What, what part of character is not being understood? What part of, like, what to do? Like, do they know how to, how to read their Bible, how to pray? In counseling, sometimes it's happened. I don't know if it's happened to you guys, that you're counseling someone. So person A is counseling person, person B, and person A counsels person B and, and, and tells them, and the person kind of doesn't react at all. And then person C shows up and counsels person B, and then the person B is like, that was the most helpful conversation I've ever had. And then person A and person C compare notes, and they realize, like, we said we use the same Bible passages, the same scripture, 
But for some reason, and again, it's, it's the Lord's work, like for some reason there was more of a response with person C. Why? Sometimes it has to do with this part in which is unable. You know, there's people that, you know, you don't know only how to dispense truth, but you know how to minister truth. There's a difference there. That's important. In Latin America, it's really important for us to realize that, that when we talk about this, this, uh, this passage, please, another thing that I want you to see, I said that there were two things. The second one is a notice, please. Let's go back to, back to Matthew. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Um, I notice it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Once again, it's not just teaching them all I have commanded you, but teaching them to observe. And that is life. That is a change from just mere information to transformation to bear the gospel in people's lives. That's what we do as counseling. Some people are like, oh, he, he's involved in biblical counseling. I kind of don't like the term biblical counseling sometimes. We're involved in discipleship. We're involved in seeing the, the power of the gospel bringing help and hope for those people struggling with life and making it in a practical way. The Bible has a lot to say about life in general. Sometimes it's like, okay, like, like if I need to know about salvation, I need to know about all the spiritual things, I go to the, to the Bible. But if I need to know how to raise my kids or like how to deal with my anger or communication, then I need to find somewhere else to get help. And that's not true. The Bible has the answers. I can tell you a story. When we started translating uh, the, 31, the 30 hours for biblical counseling, basic training, uh, we have an incredible translator by God's, in God's providence. There, was this great trans, there is a great translator in our church. Um, she's theologically trained. She's translated in great works, like really deep works, and, and she's done a great work. She, she's, she's done even Bible translations and things like that. Like she's, she's really good in, in doing translations. But she started to do our biblical counseling videos, and we started to realize that she started to fall behind on the deadlines. And we needed to, to get him to us so that we can do the voiceover, et cetera, et cetera. But she started to fall behind, behind, behind. And eventually, my wife and I went and, and we talked to her. And like, dear sister, like, how are you doing? What, what's happening? And she lost it at that moment. And she said, it's so hard to translate this. And again, this is a person theologically trained that's been in Ecuador for many years. She was a leader in, in, for women's ministry and different things and, and has a blog, the whole thing. And she says, as I, to, I, as I try to translate, the Lord brings conviction on my heart and I have to stop. I cry. I have to make a call. I have to pray. I have never translated something like this. And this was nothing like crazy. It was just like saying like, so do you know what the Bible says about anger? Do you know what the Bible says about conflict resolution? Do you know what the Bible says about a heart of bitterness? Many times in places in the backyard, like is Latin America, we've had a lot of resources. We have a lot of content, but we haven't been able to sometimes help people see the need practically on how the Bible provides that help, friends. That's the reason we ended up in Ecuador. When I went to Masters, after being in Masters, my desire was to go to, go to the 1040 window, to go to unreach people groups. And I think there's a great need for that. And I pray that the Lord will continue to send missionaries to that place, to Bible translation. There's places in the world where they don't have one Bible verse translated in, in their language. When we have like so many translations. Last night, uh, I traveled with a Spanish Bible, and I don't think that would have been helpful today to preach from a Spanish Bible. So I asked Pastor, uh, can you please let me borrow an English Bible? And he gave me like four options. It was like the ESB, the NASB. Uh, <laughs> then there was the ESB Archaeological Bible. Then there was like the MacArthur Study Bible. And then you can say like this Bible, the, that Bible, the, this Bible, the, that Bible. And we have so many Bibles. And there's places in the world that they don't have one verse translated in their language. So there's a place for that. At the same time, we need to be careful as well to realize that just because a, a place has a Bible does not mean that there's maturity in believers and in churches. 
So when I got to Ecuador, that's exactly what we saw. Some of the things that I learned with some people that are here in this room, expository preaching, discipleship, hospitality, all those things were talked about, but were never, they weren't really seen in the life of the local church. So missions needs to consider these two things. Next thing, really briefly, I want to say the sociological argument. Please notice at the end in Romans that we saw, it says, unable to minister one another. The one another's have to happen in the context of believers. The, the, the majority of the time, they happen in the context of believers. And what are the believers in local churches? The Great Commission says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. The baptism is a way to publicly identify with the work of Christ and his body in, the, in, in, in churches. And that should happen mostly in local churches. I, we have great friends, as, as dear brother said. Um, we partner with, with orphanages. We partner with, with mercy ministries. We partner with a lot of, of uh, parachurch organizations. But we need to have it clear, friends, that the local church needs to be the center. And we need to focus on local churches. Sometimes it's easy as missionaries to kind of drag local churches to the plan of the missionary. So as you think of, of supporting churches, as you think of, of your world around the world, make sure that, that the missionary submits to the local church. No, the local church needs to be dragged by the missionary. I wanted to finish with one last thing as I'm running out of time. It's his presence argument. Please notice how this incredible section of God's Word ends. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission ends with a comforting and encouraging reminder of God's presence as we move forward with this calling. As I've shared with you, I've shared a number of testimonies in which you can see God working. But I wish that all those stories will have a happy ending. They don't. My wife and I have spent hours serving in different ways, and, and we're kind of like, we only have 12 years in the field. There's people that have been there for a lot longer. And those 12 years, I can tell you, there's some beautiful things, but there have been some really heartaches. Like I mentioned to you, we, we're missionaries, and there's some in which we've poured into someone, and someone just leaves. Or you're trying to do something, and someone just leaves, and they hurt you when they leave. And that's the moment in which you ask yourself, where are your eyes? Why are you serving? And it's easy to say, like, you know what, like, I'm serving because I want to see that, that, that life transform. And, and, and there's many of those, like the testimony from our dear sister today, those are beautiful moments. But there's times in which the testimonies don't end like that. And at that moment, if you're not anchored on the Lord, your heart is going to collapse. Because you are looking at the outside, and, and, and that's not enough to hold you, friends. At the end of the day, after he tells us this incredible command to go and make disciples, all authority has given to Christ, his comforting words are not like, because everything will go great. Even that the word is powerful and it's going to bring salvation, which is true. But at the end, he finishes with, and behold, I am with you always. Remember that I am with you. Through the Bible, in difficult moments, God comforts his people, reminding him of his presence. And that's so needed in ministry, friends. Genesis 26, 24, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. Deuteronomy 2, 7, for the Lord, your God, has blessed you in all the works of your hands. He knows you're going through his great wilderness this 40 years. The Lord, your God, has been with you. Another one that you might know, Joshua 1, 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Many of you guys know the, 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 uh, the beloved Psalm 23, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because, 
Many times we can think like, because number one, I, he says, because I am with you. That is the encouragement. Sometimes when I read this verse, it's like, even though I run through the valley of the shadow of death, I just want to go super fast through this. Okay, I get it that life ministry is hard, but can we run? Number two, even though I walk through, no, no, no. Can we go over it? Can we go around it? In ministry, friends, in, in, as we make disciples, we're going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow. In moments, people that, that you spend time with, they're going to turn on you. I remember with my wife listening to one of my favorite psalms that I heard it for the first time at Hope Bible Church. You know, let the world despise and leave me. Let, they, they have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them untrue. And me and my wife crying, hearing that song, realizing like someone had just heard us. After we tried to be faithful. Not perfect, but we tried to be faithful. And at those moments in ministry that will happen as you make disciples, you hold on to him. Many of us will say, like, well, in that case, I, 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 I don't want to do this whole discipleship. I, I want comfort. But one of the most beautiful things, friends, is that isn't it true that in the most difficult moments, many times is when we experience God in a new way, like that we need to be connected to him. We need to be holding on to him, and discipleship provides those opportunities. Making disciples provides because you can't do it on yourself. You can't change hearts. You need to hold on to him. And in the midst of those moments, you need to hold on. As we make his last words our main priority, both nationally and internationally, we need to remember his presence. He is our objective. James Montgomery Boy said in his commentary of Psalm 23, we're never more conscious of the presence of God as when we go through the valleys of life. And as we make disciples, sometimes that might happen. We do it joyfully because he gives us that example. Lord God, we thank you so much for this beautiful time that we had together. Lord, thank you for this incredible calling that we have. Lord God, I pray that, that we will not just pray about it, we will not think about it, we, we dialogue about it. Lord, but, but uh, there are people that you have put in your providence, in, your, in our lives, Father God. And I, and I ask you that you would please um, help us be faithful. Help us have a good testimony with them, Lord God. May, may you conceive uh, salvation, Father. Lord, either it will be here in Baltimore, it will be in, in, in this area, it will be in the United States, it will be in, in the whole Americas, Lord, around the world. We pray that you, every knee will bow to you, Father, and help us just um, get tired doing, doing your work, Father God. And thank you, Father, because as we do that, you use those same things to, to draw us to yourself, Father, because the labor is not in vain. We pray for this church, Father. I thank you for the work that is happening here. May you protect the, protect the leadership here. Lord God, um, if we get to hang out again in this side of death or in the other side, we thank you because you deserve it all. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.